That is an odd word of the Lord, isn't it? Which of you wants to play the part of the slave? Or which of you wants to hear Jesus talking about why you shouldn't thank your slave? It just seems wrong on 17, 20, or 100 different levels, right? And so as I kind of read this passage and tried to contextualize what Jesus said or to make it okay, I realized maybe it just wasn't. Maybe Jesus was illustrating something that was wrong, something that was broken. Maybe he was pointing out something that shouldn't be the way it was. Right, because he's talking to people who probably, for the most part, were not slaves themselves, right? And he's talking to them about, hey, you know, when you treat other people this way, do you actually say thank you for people who do what they should do? The answer is probably no. And I think that there are a lot of parallels between their culture and ours. Because for some reason, in the last, I don't know, maybe it's the last 10 years, maybe it's the last 50, who knows, our culture has become obsessed with the idea of blame, or with what caused this, or whose fault is this, right? So baby boomers, for instance, I'm going to blame you because you all ruined the housing market. That's your fault. Millennials, well, we seem to have ruined the workplace and nobody gets anything done anymore. Religion, well, you guys, probably all of us together, we probably ruined Christianity and the industry and big corporations, they ruined the climate and political correctness broke all the comedians and that's why nothing's as funny as it used to be. And there's even a group of people online who seem to have formed around the idea, well, that it's everyone else who can't get a date. I'm not joking about that one. And so the irony is that with all of that, that while we love blaming everybody else for all of those problems, we want nothing but credit for what we've done right. Right? So we are blameless. We have done everything right. Look at what I did right, and look what everyone else has done wrong. It's everyone else's fault, God. I deserve the credit for what I've done. I have been a pretty good person. You know that. You're God. You know everything. And so if we think that that's a new idea or that our generation has somehow been the first ones to start having older people tell younger people that they're terrible and younger people blame older people for ruining everything and it was great before you ruined it for us, let's just get in our little time machine. Let's go back 50 years or 500 or 5,000 and let's just look at what parents and children have always done. This blame game is kind of, maybe it's just rooted in who we are. We like it when things that are wrong are someone else's fault. And we like it when things that go right are because of our effort. And so the apostles came to the Lord and they said, well, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, well, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, which by the way is tiny, You could say to this tree, hey, go plant yourself in the ocean. And it would. Has any of you ever pulled that off? Has anyone ever gone up to a tree and been like, hey, tree, I just need you to move about five feet to the left for me. 
I don't, not all the way to the ocean, that would be excessive. That might be testing the Lord, and we're not supposed to do that. But how about just five feet to the left, because I don't want to cut you down. And then it sits there, right? Or the Sunday morning that it was in the middle of winter, and I decided, hey, the furnace is not working in the sanctuary. Um, I'm going to take my faith the size of a mustard seed. I'm going to lay hands on this furnace, and it's going to kick on, and it's going to be warm, and everything is going to be great. And everyone wore their coats for worship that morning. You know, and so we have the faith the size of a mustard seed, and yet we can't seem to move the tree. We can't seem to fix the furnace with a prayer. We can't seem to change the world around us with our prayers. Maybe that's because it's not quite how it works. Because Jesus went on and he kind of finished illustrating. We like quoting the part about our prayers fixing things and our faith being able to change everything to the way we think it should be. But then we read the next part and it's all about Jesus saying, okay, well, you know, which of you actually thanks somebody for doing something when they come in? Which of you is grateful? Like if, if you are a boss at work and your employees do the minimum that they're asked to do, which of you goes and says, you know, that was really great. That level of mediocrity was just fantastic today. Thank you so much. You know, why don't you just take the rest of the afternoon off? Like, no, of course you don't, <laughs> right? Like we, we don't thank people for doing what we think they should do. And maybe that too is part of the problem. Because then Jesus is like, well, of course you don't. You don't thank him for doing the work you told him to do. That's his job. And then the rest of his job is to come in and to serve you dinner. And you don't thank him for that. Because why would you? That's not the way culture works, is it? We don't thank people for doing the right thing. And so we get caught in this kind of back and forth thing, right? Where we always undersell the achievements of others and oversell our own. And I think that's more what Jesus is trying to point out here. He's trying to point out that, you know, when your kid goes to brush their teeth before bed, it sometimes takes 15, 20 minutes. And at the end of that 15 or 20 minute ordeal, and their teeth have some toothpaste on them, but you're pretty sure they still haven't been brushed well, do you go, thank you so much, child, for that experience together? I think we are growing closer as a family for having spent 15 minutes brushing their teeth. No, of course that's not how you react. You're angry because you're frustrated because you wanted to go relax and now it's 15 minutes later and your kid's teeth are still going to rot and fall out. But that's okay. They're probably baby teeth anyway. And so maybe that again is the problem. Maybe we should thank people when they do something right, even if it's 15 minutes late and halfway done. So one of the things that I think this kind of infects is our attitude towards what we do for God. I don't know about you, but in, in my line of work, I spend a lot of time talking about what the church should do and where the church should or hopefully will be 10 years from now. I want to make sure that we, as the church, are together. I want to make sure that we are singing these same songs and belting out high falsetto if that's the way you want to roll. You know, like, I want to make sure that we are together, that we are safe, that we are loved, and that we are listened to, and that God is in our midst. 
So the obvious question then is, as pastor, what am I supposed to do to make that happen? Because that's how the world works, right? You set a goal, you figure out, okay, these are the things I do, and then that happens. But then we spiritualize it a little bit, right? Because it would be prideful for me to say, well, I can grow the church. So I don't say that. What I say is, well, that if we as a church have this outreach event, then we'll probably be able to bring in more people to the church. And that will bring up our numbers. Maybe they'll even start giving. And then that'll fix everything. So if we do this, we expect God to come and do this. And then it'll be okay. Or if we just have a good enough worship team, and the music is good enough, then people who come in will maybe feel the spirit of God, and maybe they'll stay. And then it will be okay. Or maybe it's about, well, maybe we just need new paint. You know, well, now that we've painted the trim on these windows, well, now there's enough natural light, maybe we need to paint the rest too. I don't, well, maybe if we do that, then God will bless us. The problem with thinking that way is that what happens then if you go, you paint something, it looks nice, you do the outreach event, you do all these things that you think you're supposed to do, and then nothing happens. Nobody says, thank you. We don't suddenly have 250 people in worship next week. We feel kind of gypped. We feel like somebody sold us a bill of goods. Well, we did all the right stuff, and not the right stuff happened back. Well, there's a problem, though, because the belief that if we do the right things, the good things will happen back to us, that's not scriptural. That's just karma. And it taints our motives. Because now we don't go talk to our friends because we want to get to know them and we want to be a blessing to them and it's not for their benefit anymore. We're doing it because we think, well, maybe if we're nice enough to them, they'll come to church. It becomes kind of self-serving. And so this, this, this belief that if we do good things, good things happen back to us, it can infect our motives and it can poison the otherwise really good things that God has asked us to do. Because now we're not doing them for you. I'm doing them for me. I have expectations. I have entitlements. I have what I think I am going to get down the road. And that's okay. God will bless me in heaven. Well, if that's the only reason you're being a nice person, you're not a nice person. The entire book of Job is built on the premise that Job is a good guy. God rewarded Job with good things. Awful things happened to Job. And then they spend 39-some chapters talking about why the bad things happened. And then the last one chapter is God saying, okay, well, Job is a great guy. I'm going to bless him again. Most of the sermons, most of the conversations I've had about Job focus on chapter 1 and chapter, I think it's 42 is the end. Job is a great guy and bad things happen to Job, but then God fixes it. That's the story of Job. Except that then what do you do with the middle 30-some chapters? 
Then is Job ripping his clothes, tearing his hair out, covered in boils, with three friends who tell him it's his fault, a smart guy down the street who's young and doesn't really know what he's talking about, but he starts talking like he does. And then God himself shows up and says, Job, why are you questioning me? Have you forgotten that I'm God? It's harder to preach on that. It's a more fun sermon to say, that's okay. Anything that gets taken away from you in life, as long as you're a good person, it'll come back twice, twofold. Right? That's a great sermon. Completely missing the point of the book. Job is making the point that there are three things that we like to think are true. God is all-powerful. Job was a good guy. And God always rewards people who do good things. The problem with those three things, and we want to believe all three of them, is you have to pick two. Because if God is all-powerful, and God always rewards people who do good things, when you suffer, it's because you did something wrong. I don't like that. That's not true. Okay, well, maybe God is all-powerful, and... God, oh, no, that one doesn't work either. Maybe Job is righteous and God always rewards those who do good, but then God just sometimes can't. Nope, that doesn't work either. And inside the story of Job, they tell you straight up, God, Job did not sin against God in his anger. It tells you Job did nothing wrong, so you can't throw out that Job was righteous. God is all-powerful. And so the only uncomfortable truth we're left with is that God does not always protect and give only good things to you if you do what's good. Karma does not work. Doing good things is no guarantee that your life will be easy. Which sounds super depressing, right? <laughs> it sounds like, okay, Pastor Kevin, worst sermon ever, thanks. But here's what it frees us from. That truth then frees us to go do the right thing for the right reason. It frees us to go and say, I am going to go be a good person. I'm going to go show the love of Christ to my neighbor. And I don't know if it's going to result in good things happening to me. They may not come to church. They may not give me something later on down the road. They may be a total jerk to me after I've been kind to them. It may cost me something, and I may never get that back. But it's the right thing, and I'm going to go do it. The freedom that comes from that is ridiculous. Because now, when I go do something good for someone, if I'm a good Christian and I go and I show the love of Christ to someone, I don't have to keep a scorecard in my head, even if it's a subconscious one, to go, okay, well, maybe God's going to bring this back to me somewhere. The number of times somebody has talked to me and said, hey, you know, I went and I did this great thing and it went horribly, but it's okay. I'm sure God will make it up later. Maybe he won't. Maybe your reward is being as God asked you to be. Maybe your reward is that you are being Christ-like as you were created to be. Maybe your reward was in that moment knowing that I am doing what God asked me to. 
This is good and right. I don't need that person to give me anything back. I don't need God to reimburse me on the back end if this person is rude to me. This is the reward. Being righteous is the reward. It's who you were made to be. And now there's that freedom. There's that you don't have to worry about, okay, well, now I gotta make sure the balance is ledger. Or if someone's nice to me, I've gotta make sure to pay it back because that's what God wants me to do. No, it's not. Sometimes a gift is a gift. Sometimes God sends someone into your life to do something for you, and your job is to say thank you. And now we're coming full circle. How often do you thank people for doing something for you? Probably much more often if you don't feel like they owed it to you. If you feel like they owe you something, you're not going to say thank you. And so that's the flip side. Not only do you find freedom if you do good things without expecting anything in return, but you also become a more thankful, a more grateful, a more holy, and a happier person if every time someone offers you a gift of service, of time, of money, of kindness, every time something like that comes your way, you look at that and you go, that is God. I want to thank you for being a part of the good work that God is doing in the world because that that you did right there, that was good. Thank you. When the cashier smiles and says, have a nice day, and you know it's part of a script, but you think that maybe she meant it? Thank you. That is good. Thank you. Because entitlement will rob us of joy every day of the week. We should not live a transactional life where I scratch your back, you scratch mine. We should live in a world where your back itches. Let me get that for you. Period. End of story. The world does not owe us anything. On the flip side... We don't owe the world anything. We owe it to God to do what is right. Because that is who he made us to be. Good news. You can wipe the ledger clean. Don't have to keep score. Because if we all do what God has asked us to do, everybody wins. 